Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me on this Friday, TGIF. We've survived another week in Biden's America, all to the good. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. On social media, Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, at Monica Crowley, also by email at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, today I want to do something a little different. You know, on this show, we spend a lot of time talking about January 6th and bringing you the truth about what happened that day. We're getting more and more of it, courtesy of Tucker Carlson and the fact that Speaker McCarthy turned over 40,000 hours of surveillance footage to Tucker Carlson and his team, and good on Speaker McCarthy and good on Tucker for airing the videos and bringing us all the truth I mean, we have been fed a steady diet of lies about that day for over two years now, and it's enough already. The propaganda press, along with the regime, the system, um, has just created this false narrative about what happened that day to establish an insurrection, to do two things. One, to stop Donald Trump dead in his tracks so he cannot run for president again, and two, to discredit the entire America First movement. That's what the January 6th whole fake narrative, the whole pack of lies was all about. But January 6th also had real human costs. 
We have some of our fellow Americans who continue to languish in jail. Two years later, pretrial detention with no legal recourse whatsoever. And judges continue to delay these trials over and over again. So these people are just sitting in jail with no legal recourse. Our friend Julie Kelly, who's been on the show many times, she was on Tucker this week, I guess it was on uh, Tuesday night, and she was talking about how the federal judges in these cases are the worst. The prosecutors are absolutely terrible, of course. You've got juries convicting left and right because these cases are being brought in Washington, D.C., so any Republican or Trump supporter doesn't stand a chance. And she was saying that really the worst out of all of these bad folks are the federal judges who have taken the Constitution, ripped it up, and thrown it out the window. Why? Because they're on board with continuing with this fake, lying narrative about January 6th, President Trump and President Trump's supporters. The fact that you've got judges who are supposed to be impartial, equally applying the law across the board to everybody, doing this kind of thing is absolutely outrageous, disgusting, un-American, and frankly, to me, this seems unconstitutional. Well, now that we've got these tapes, it does seem that there's been a lot of prosecutorial misconduct, and a lot of these January 6th detainees should be released on the spot, like yesterday. I'm not talking about the violent ones, and there were a handful of people who were breaking windows and, and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about them. They, many of them have already paid the price or are being sentenced, etc. But the people who did not commit violent crimes that are stuck in pretrial detention, in some cases in solitary, in other cases where they've already been sentenced, like the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley, who's on tape being escorted by Capitol Hill police, if they thought he was so dangerous, why didn't they arrest him on the spot? Oh, no, they're shaking his hand, they're laughing with him, they're opening the door to the Senate chamber, walking in with him, having a good uh, good old time. He got almost four years in prison for a nonviolent trespassing charge. All of this is completely outrageous. It is legally wrong. It's morally wrong, as Elon Musk said, and it has no place in America. And yet we're still in this. But all of this exculpatory evidence coming out on these tapes should go a long way to bouncing a lot of these people who are still in prison and having a lot of others who have already been tried, convicted, and sentenced as if we're in, you know, the Soviet Union, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Well, uh, if I were they, I would go right back to it, have my sentences vacated, get, get released from prison, whatever legal recourse they now have that we have actual evidence here. These tapes don't answer every question about January 6th, but man, they're answering a lot. But as I said, there is a very steep and dark human toll here. A couple of these people have already committed suicide because they saw no hope. They were languishing in jail and just saw darkness in front of them. That is disgusting that that is happening in the United States.
and very few people have championed their cause. Julie Kelly is one of them. I'm blessed to call her a friend. And our guest here for the full hour today is also a champion of the January 6th defendants because he was one. And we're going to hear his story because I think it's important now to set into context these tapes that we're seeing to really hear from someone who got absolutely nailed to the wall by the full force of the federal government over something he did not do on January 6th. The human toll for our fellow Americans has been steep, dark, and outrageous. And that's why today I want to bring you one of their stories. This is going to be a really important conversation. As we always say on this show, the most dangerous threat we face is the weaponization of our own government against us. That's even more true for those who have been targeted by the full force of the United States government and had their lives turned upside down, destroyed, because their own government wants them not just silenced, but crushed. This is tyranny. Whether you want to see it or not, or acknowledge it or not, this is tyranny right now in America. Fortunately, we do have some people who have been through the fire and have come out on the other side stronger and fiercer than before. Today, we have with us one of those warriors. Brandon Strzok is the founder of the Walk Away Campaign. A former liberal, Brandon launched Walkaway to wake people up to the revolutionary radicalism of the left and the Democratic Party and to get as many Democrats as possible to leave the party and to help save America. Brandon has just relaunched Walkaway after being targeted by the FBI and DOJ after January 6th, and he is here to tell us his unbelievable story. Brandon, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you too. And I should tell everybody that we first met late last year at the David Horowitz Freedom Center event in Phoenix, where you blew everybody away with your story. And of course, I had heard of you. I think I was following you on Twitter and I knew who you were. But having, you know, watching you speak from the podium live in person, telling your story. After you came off the stage, I immediately made a beeline to you and I said, I need to know you. We need to be friends. Okay. (laughs) And now now, uh, here we are. And I am absolutely blessed to call you a friend. Although I have to say, I've been mispronouncing your last name for uh, the last year or so. Well, let me tell you, you're in really good company. Uh, You know, I I often say that, you know, probably about 99% of the population calls me uh, Brandon Straka, which they should, because that's how my last name is spelled. It's this bizarre thing that my, even my own family has never understood uh, that we say my last name as Strock with a silent A on the end. And what I think, you know, people feel horrible once they discover this, you know, the, oh my God, I've been saying your name wrong this whole time. <laughs> and I say, listen, I, I, I am used to 99% of the population call me Brandon Straka. I'm totally cool with it. So nothing to worry about. 
there are bigger fish to fry in the world. There certainly are. (laughs) Bigger (laughs) battles to to wage. So I'm so thrilled that you're here. And I'm so happy to now know you. Blessed to call you a friend. And I so admire your courage and your fortitude in fighting back. This is really a David and Goliath story, guys. And we're going to take it all apart today. Um, Let's start at the beginning, Brandon, because you are not, and you've never prior to this, been a political activist. You weren't even that political. You were a very successful hairstylist. And I know when I met you, I was like, can you do something with this hair? Um, You were also (laughs) a a registered Democrat and so on. What happened to turn your head to focus on what was going on in your country? Sure. Well, first, let me say, if you'll recall, when you first met me at the Horowitz event, you came to me and the first thing I told you is that you're very beautiful and that I was shocked when you said I had interpreted what you said was that you worked for Nixon. And I said, well, how old is this woman? Because she looks very, very young. Uh, And then you explained to me that wasn't quite right. So I thought you and your hair looked very beautiful. Let me just say. Well, thank you so much. You're you're very welcome. Um, uh, The other thing I'll say is that I I hardly would refer to myself as a successful hairstylist. I was actually a a very new hairstylist. So I had moved to New York City uh, shortly after I graduated from high school. And my dream was to be an actor and a singer. Uh, I primarily consider myself an artist and, and a creative person. And I really wanted to get into uh, performing uh, because that's something that comes very natural to me. You may not even be aware of this part of my story, but uh, you know, in my early 20s, I got very into drugs and alcohol. Um, I consider myself a cocaine addict. Uh, But I actually got sober over eight years ago, um, joined a 12-step program, got sober and began the process of sort of, you know, correcting the course of my life. And after I began correcting the course of my life, I decided that it would probably be a good idea um, to get an education in some sort, because up until that point, I'd basically just been working in uh, restaurants and bars and clubs in New York City, you know, quote, unquote, pursuing the life of an actor, which I really wasn't because I was so sidetracked by my addictions. Um, But once I decided to um, get sober and kind of rethink how I wanted to approach my professional life, I decided, I thought, you know, why don't I go to hair school? Because I think I would actually like being a hairstylist. And then that would get me into a more kind of professional realm. And there's probably enough flexibility in various aspects of that field that I could still pursue my dream of wanting to be an actor or singer. And so I put myself through hair school and I started working as a hairstylist. I think I was not very good at it. Um, And I think, I mean, I think I was adequate at best. And if I had really applied myself, I probably could have been pretty great at it over time, but I wasn't that great. And I wasn't happy with it, which was probably the most important thing. Um, A really interesting story is that I was working at a, a hair salon on the Lower East Side of New York City. And I'd been there for about three or four months. Uh, The two people who owned the salon uh, were absolutely incredible hairstylists and absolutely incredible business people. And they were very young. Um, The young lady named Bianca, I think, was in her late 20s, and she was one of the owners. Um, And she was just making a killing and doing an incredible job with this, this small salon. So there was absolutely this opportunity to kind of, you know, study under her guidance and probably have an incredible career, but it just did not feel right to me. And I was, every night I was going to bed, literally with like voices screaming in my head in a pit in my stomach, 
that were saying, you're not doing the right thing. You're, you're doing the wrong thing. And I went into work one day in 2000, uh, well, it would have been probably the end of 2017 or the, no, 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 excuse me, 2018. Uh, I went into work one day and I pulled her outside and I said, look, I need to quit work. And, um, and I don't know why. <laughs> and she said mm. to me, what, what, what do you mean? And I said, I literally can't sleep at night because something is telling me that I'm doing the wrong thing. And she said to me, you've got to listen to that voice. Uh, she said, the door is always open. We love you, but you've got to listen to that voice. And I did. And then I'd say it was probably within two months, I started walk away. And, and I did not know that that was going to happen, by the way. So it, it was pretty incredible. That's like what you're describing is, is like an epiphany. Um, and it's almost, I don't know if you're a believer in God, but what you described is like God sending you a lightning bolt to, to turn your life around, change the orientation of your life, you know, from the giving up of the drugs and the alcohol to giving up the career path that you had chosen. And, you know, very recently, it does seem like it was kind of an epiphany. How do you describe it? Well, I, I think that's absolutely what it was. And I think that, you know, if if I think that if a person has a calling or a mission that they're meant to fulfill and they're resisting that calling or that mission, the, the universal power, whether you want to call that God, whether you want to call it the, whatever you want to call that, I, I think that that power is going to keep speaking to you louder and louder and louder and louder until you get it, until it becomes unavoidable. And, um, and so I, I believe that that's what happened to me. Well, I think that is 100% true. And so when you started focusing on what was going on in the country and the politics, so you had this, this personal um, epiphany where you said, okay, I'm on a track that I don't think is right for me. I'm going to take a different track. But when did it become, when did your focus settle on politics and you started realizing that what was going on around you in your country was not acceptable? Well, so it was a process that kind of unfolded uh, over the course of a couple of years. And you made the point earlier that I wasn't a very political guy. I mean, that's absolutely true. So for anyone who doesn't know, you know, I'm a gay man. I, my interest in politics didn't go too far beyond that. I was a Democrat my entire life. I was pretty much a single issue voter. Uh, I was somebody who was... Uh, you know, I, I was a, a gay marriage activist. I was a gay rights activist. And I believed that the Democratic Party was the party that cared about marginalized minorities. That includes the black community, Hispanic, you know, uh, black and brown people, LGBT people, women, uh, immigrants, uh, religious minorities and things like that. And I didn't really look too far beyond that. I knew that I hated the Republican Party. I knew that I hated Republicans. Um, I thought that they were greedy, self-interested, straight white people uh, who hated anybody else who wasn't a straight white person. Uh, those are the messages that I was getting time and again from the media, uh, from the Democrats who I admired, from the entertainment industry. And I believed it. And I had no reason really to not question it or to question it, I should say. Um, in 2016, when Hillary, when it was Trump versus Hillary, it wasn't even a question for me. I was absolutely going to support Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I also believed because the media that I trusted told me 
over and over again that she was going to win by a landslide, that he didn't even have a chance. I mean, by the time we got to election day, they were saying he had a 3% chance of winning. And, um, and so it was a major shock and upset when the election turned out the way that it did. And, you know, I believed, I, I remember distinctly, you know, throughout 2015 and 2016, when it became clear that Trump was going to be the Republican nominee and the media coverage of him began to change. Because if you'll recall, and it's almost hard for some people to remember this, but if you'll recall, when he first announced that he was running, they weren't calling him Hitler and, a, you know, a racist and a bigot. They were laughing. They thought it was hilarious. They were like, oh, this buffoon from The Apprentice is going to run as a, you know, a Republican and whatever. Well, I mean, if this guy were, in fact, literally, you know, the second coming of Hitler uh, or, or, or some, uh, you know, insane racist or bigot, there never should have been a period of time where it was funny that he was announcing that he was running. But they thought it was hilarious until he started to gain steam and until it became clear that he was going to become the Republican nominee and that his popularity in this MAGA movement, this, this, this thing that was sweeping the country, was becoming so big and so powerful that they had to come up with a way to take him out. And so my belief is that they put their heads together as they do collectively all the time about anything. You know, how do we suppress the Hunter Biden story? How do we attack this person? How do we get what we want in a number of situations? I think they collectively put their heads together and said, how are we gonna take this guy out? And they asked themselves, well, what triggers our base more than anything in the world? Social injustice. We have to make this guy the most racist, bigoted, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, hateful person that's ever run for office in the history of man. And that's exactly what they did. And I remember distinctly being on the treadmill and I think it was 2015, maybe early 2016, looking up at the screen, watching CNN while I was on the treadmill and seeing Donald Trump frozen on the screen with a banner that read, Donald Trump mocks disabled reporter. And I thought it was the most gut-churning, sickening, despicable thing that I had ever seen. And I could not understand or believe at that point how anybody could continue to support him after that. You know, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This guy gets up in front of thousands of people in an, in an arena and starts making fun of a disabled person, making fun of the person's disability. And people are cheering and laughing and, and people are still gonna support, like what is happening to the right in America? This is what's going through my mind. And so when Hillary ends up, or excuse me, when uh, Trump ends up winning the election in 2016 and after the media that I trusted said that there's no chance, I, I was horrified and scared to death. And I went through a period of about two weeks where I felt like I couldn't even function because I was like, I, I, I don't understand what's happening in this country. And clearly the world is not what I thought it was. And then I kind of said to myself, okay, well, this is going to be a very long and torturous four years if you're not able to move out of this feeling. And initially, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to move beyond this feeling of dread and despair that I was feeling right after the election. And that's when I decided to go on a quest not to like Donald Trump, not to like his supporters, not to be okay with them. I just wanted to understand how it happened. How did the media that I trusted get this so wrong? Why would anybody vote for a man who was capable of doing all of these, calling all Mexicans rapists, making fun of disabled people, wanting to ban Muslims from coming into this country? Why would anybody vote for that in this country? 
And so my journey to try to make myself feel better began with just those questions and beginning to do the research about that. And that's kind of where this whole thing started. Brendan, please hang tight. A lot more ahead. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We're back with Brendan Strock. You begin this journey and you're coming at it with, okay, you know, how could the country elect this madman, you know, this racist, everything that you were told by the propaganda press, which, you know, understandably you believed. What, how, how did you go about um, examining and researching the truth about Donald Trump and his supporters and how he got elected? Well, so initially what I did, so I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, um, very small uh, farming, rural farm community and um, a, a Catholic town. Almost everyone in the town is Catholic. I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school. So I grew up in a very, very conservative environment. And, you know, I could consider myself a liberal um, from the time that I was, you know, probably 13, 14 years old, you know, began to have an understanding of what it meant to, to believe in liberalism. And certainly by the time I was a, a teenager, 15, 16, 17, I definitely identified as a conservative and I, or excuse me, as a liberal. And I was, um, you know, very much a black sheep in my small town for feeling that way. But the point is, I knew that the majority of people that I grew up with, friends, schoolmates, teachers, et cetera, probably voted for Trump. And so I thought to myself, well, that's a good place to start. Why don't I start calling up some old classmates? Why don't I start calling up some people that I grew up with and ask them, you know, what has caused you to lose your mind? What, what is going on? Why, you know, is this, an, is this a backlash to a black president? You know, are you so upset that we had a black president for eight years that you had to go out and vote for, for Hitler? Or like, what the hell's going on? So I started calling people and the initial conversations were bizarre to me because all of the, first of all, many of them 
voted for Obama. <laughs> Some of them voted for Obama twice. And they were telling me, you know, look, I was all in on the hope and change thing. And a lot of them said, you know, I, I, I'm a Republican, but I haven't felt represented by the Republican Party in some time. And so I gave Obama a shot. And they said what we've gotten in return is a, a, a country that's more divided ideologically than we've ever been. We've got communities in this country that have been decimated, jobs that have been outsourced to foreign countries, entire industries have been shut down. You know, they started to talk to me about issues that affect the lives of Americans, policies that destroyed the lives of American citizens. And what I noticed right away was I'm not hearing anything about racism or bigotry or everything that the media is telling me that, you know, this is a, a backlash against a black president. And, so, and I started to also hear about scandals that Obama was involved in, like Fast and Furious and a number of other things. I had never even heard of it. The media that I trusted didn't even talk about these things. So, and as a matter of fact, the media that I trusted kept saying it was eight years of a scandal-free presidency, the infallible Barack Obama. And all of a sudden I'm hearing a lot about his fallibility. And I'm also hearing a lot about scandals that were, were covered up uh, where the media carried water for Obama. And I, I just started to feel a little bit shaken. Like what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. um, th that's weird. You know, this 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 is this is not making a lot of sense to me. But but the real moment that pushed everything over the edge was just two months after the election of 2016. Uh, it would have been January 2017, right around the time Trump was about to take office. I got on social. I got on Facebook and I posted in great anger that I would never be able to understand how anyone could vote for a man who was capable of standing before a cheering crowd and mocking a reporter's disability. And that's when somebody who actually used to babysit me when I was a baby, a staunch Christian conservative who's known me you know, my entire life and who I'd been friends with on Facebook for years and years, um, reached out to me and she reached out to me privately and said, look, I'm, uh, I'm not trying to start an argument with you. I'm just asking, have you seen this? And she sent me a link to a YouTube video entitled Debunking That Trump Mocked the Disabled Reporter. Well, I saw the link to this video and I became instantly enraged. You know, I thought to myself, oh my God, here we go, more right-wing uh, propaganda, more Fox News brainwashing. Um, and then I got kind of gleeful because I thought to myself, well, I can't wait to watch this and tell her how stupid she is for falling for it, whatever it is. You know, I, I can't wait to tell her how dumb she is, you know, and what a sucker she is. So I watched the video and what it was for anyone who doesn't know is a compilation of footage showing Donald Trump numerous times throughout the years in numerous circumstances, doing the exact same voice and the exact same gesture as he did that day in the, at that rally when he was, imitating that reporter, but the commonality was that in every circumstance, he was making fun of somebody because they were caught in a lie or because they were doing something shady or something dishonest. They were mm -hmm. flailing because they had been caught. So when you watched all of these, these, uh, these bits of footage and all these circumstances, it painted a very clear picture that he was not making fun of that reporter's disability. He was making fun of the fact that that reporter who happened to be disabled 
was flailing because he was caught in a lie and because he was backtracking. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind because I, I, I couldn't, there was no arguing with it. It was so crystal clear that the media that I trusted lied to me about that, intentionally manipulated that moment to, 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 to aggravate my, my emotions and, and to make me feel uh, you know, incensed and enraged. And, um, and, and it took me a while to come to terms with that. You know, I, I just thought, I mean, why would they do that? Why, how, what on earth would be the motivation for them intentionally misleading me and so many other people this way? And so I started sending the link to that video to fellow friends, liberals, coworkers, people in New York City, and asking them, hey, have you seen this? And the reaction that I got was bizarre. I mean, I was instantly kind of met with this wall of hostility and contempt where people were saying to me, what are you doing? Uh, why are you supporting Trump? Like, what, what, you, what, do you love Trump now? Why are you defending this guy? And I said, no, 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 I, I, I hate Trump. Are you kidding me? Like, no, of course, but this is weird. Like, he didn't do that thing that, you know, CNN said that he did and, and MSNBC said that he did. So wh what do you make out of the fact that they're, they intentionally made us believe this thing that wasn't true. And the point is, it became very clear to me that I was not safe having these conversations with fellow liberals because people were getting so angry with me for even asking these questions. And what that forced me to do was basically, you know, go to work during the day and then come home at night and just get into bed and start watching videos and doing research and reading and asking questions and seeking answers to those questions because I wanted to know what was happening. I mean, it, it, it was like an, an itch that I couldn't scratch and it wouldn't leave me alone. And um, so I, over the next two or three months, I basically obsessively began uh, you know, researching it and even going back to the beginning of his campaign and you know, watching not just the sound bite about you know, calling Mexicans rapists, but the entire speech watching the entire speech from the entire rally and, and kind of revisiting all of these key moments that the left-wing media had, had spun these narratives around. And what I discovered in most circumstances was that not only did he not do the thing that they accused him of doing most of the time, but it was actually the opposite of what the, they were trying to accuse him of doing. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and the last thing I'll say on this kind of research moment is that there was one thing that really one one um, thing I discovered that really stood out to me, too, uh, that I often talk about, which was uh, I found a video on YouTube of a group of black people who went to a Trump rally to support him. They were supporters. That in itself was shocking to me. But um, they told the story. And it was a large group, too, by the way. It wasn't three or four people. It was a group of like 15 people or something. And um, when they went to the rally, they situated themselves in their seats in the arena and they were sitting right across from the CNN camera. And the, the guy who was speaking in the video said, we literally watched them. We sat down, we were right across from their camera and we watched them move the camera so that we wouldn't be in the shot. And they framed mm -hmm. up a group of white people and totally cut us out of the shot. And I, it started to kind of come crystal clear to me, wow, if, if you're a minority in this country, again, black, brown, LGBT, a woman, what have you, we're being lied to and we're being used and manipulated and they are exploiting our fear to try to control the way that we feel so that they can control the way that we think so that they can control the way that we vote. 
And when I had that, when I made that realization, that was the final straw for me. And I became enraged. And I made the decision to leave the Democratic Party, to walk away from the left-wing media and the ideology of liberalism. And I decided to be outspoken about it and try to encourage as many people as I possibly could to have the same awakening that I had. What you just described, Brandon, is actually another epiphany. <laughs> you've, you've had a couple of really big, and a lot of people don't get one in the course of their entire lives. And you had two in the space of a couple of years. And it's really, it's quite astonishing. And before we get into walk away, which is you, you took your passion and your rage over being lied to and propagandized, you took that and you channeled it, channeled it into the walk away campaign. But I just want to take a moment to applaud you because it takes um, tremendous courage, it takes tremendous self-awareness, it takes tremendous uh, foresight, emotional intelligence, guts um, to do what you did, which is because a lot of people look at their political values as their actual values, because everything is political now. So when you uh, spend your whole life as a registered Democrat, as you did, it, you know, you weren't very political, but you were a registered Democrat. It takes a lot for a person to realize that they've been lied to, to go and do the research as you did to realize that they have been lied to, deconstruct all of the lies that they have been fed, become angry, and then turn, leave the party of their parents and, and their whole lives, walk away from that party, walk away from the set of values that they have embraced for all of these years. It takes a very strong person and a very intelligent person, both intellectually and emotionally, to do that. And I just want to take a second, Brandon, just to applaud you and, and praise you for doing that, because this is something that, you know, not a lot of people can do. And you did. Well, I thank you so much for that. And, you know, I, I think you just explained exactly why more people don't have these epiphanies on their own. Oftentimes epiphanies don't come easy. You know, I mean, or it might, the nudge might be there. The voice may be speaking to you, but you've got a lot of other voices in your head at the same time saying, don't look at that, don't listen to that, don't look into that. Because if you do, you may discover a whole lot of things that you don't wanna find out. And it's going to be very difficult and very inconvenient for you to have that information. Maybe it's just better to keep going with the status quo. Maybe it's better to just not ask questions. I think that's why so many people, people don't have these epiphanies is because they know how disruptive those type of epiphanies can be. And you also perfectly set up the whole reason why I created Walkaway was because I wanted to build a community of support so that people wouldn't have to be alone and go through all the devastation that you do go through when you make the decision to act on that epiphany. Yes, yes, um, you, you did something so smart, which is you created a community because when you think that you wanna leave the party that also represents, or at least you thought your values your whole life, it can be a very isolating experience as you found. I mean, your friends, your family, they were like, oh, Brandon, you're crazy. It's a very isolating experience and you need to find your new community right away. And so you did something so brilliant with Walk Away. Tell us about those early days about getting the campaign started. 
Right. So, you know, when I made this decision that I was going to leave the left, um, you know, my life at that time was very small. I had, um, I probably had 40 Twitter followers. I had no Facebook following, you know, whatsoever. I was literally just a normal guy. Uh, I had no money. I had no media contacts. Uh, I had no political contacts. Very much just a, a normal, regular guy living paycheck to paycheck in New York City, trying to make ends meet. But I had had this realization that shook me to my core. And what bothered me more than anything was the way that ex they were exploiting minorities. Because I know the fear. I know the fear that exists in the LGBT community. I know the, I mean, and you can translate that and see the fear that exists in the Black community, Hispanic community, the way that they have conditioned people to be terrified of the Republican Party and terrified of Donald Trump. And when I realized that this was a mass manipulation and it wasn't true because I had started, you know, more and more spending time, I started going to Republican events and meeting Republicans and I was being loved on and embraced and welcomed. And I was like, my God, this is nothing like what I thought my entire life, what I'd been told, you know, being, being around Republicans would be like. And so I wanted to, uh, first I made a video in which I talked about all of the reasons why I was walking away from liberalism and the Democratic Party. It was about a six minute video where I just put on a black t-shirt, stood in front of a black background. Uh, basically, you could kind of just see my face and I was just looking directly at the camera. And I spoke for six minutes about all of the reasons why I was walking away. And I edited it a little bit and put some music behind it. And then when I got to the point where you know, I showed it to a few, a few of my friends, the ones who were left, which were not very many. And at this point, uh, they were conservatives themselves. Uh, I, I made a few Republican friends and they said, um, no, this is really good. You have to do this like you, you really need to do this. And so I said, you know, I think what I should do here is not just tell my story about why I'm walking away, but I think there must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are feeling exactly the same way I'm feeling and are just too uh, afraid or, you know, concerned about the loss and the devastation that they'll experience losing friends, family, job opportunities, status, etc. Um, too afraid to act on it. And what if we built a community of people who could come together to walk away in mass uh, by using sharing this hashtag, share, sharing the hashtag walk away. And so on May 26th of 2018, I put my video out. Again, no fanfare whatsoever. I had uh, no money to promote the video and I, I had no major following or anything like that. But I put the video out and I created a Facebook group that I called hashtag walk away campaign. And basically, I just said, look, if you watch this video, if you if it speaks to you, if you're feeling the same way I'm feeling, join this group on Facebook and make your own video and tell your own story. Talk about why you are walking away. And within the first couple of weeks, my video, I think within a week or two, it had gotten like 20,000 views. And I like I was my mind was blown because I had never put a video out that maybe got more than 100 views or something, you know. So for me, 20,000 views, I couldn't even like process, you know, how big that was for me. And we had gotten we were starting to get hundreds of people joining this group on Facebook. And within the first two weeks, we had, you know, people probably made uh, I don't know, a dozen or maybe I don't know, eight, nine, ten, something a dozen videos. And I was like, wow, this is, it's kind of starting to happen. This is, this is getting a little bit of traction. But in those first couple of weeks, uh, the video was started going viral on its own. And then I started getting, getting invited to do 
uh, little local AM radio interviews and, you know, small podcasts. Since I, I think the first podcast, I think the first interview I ever did was a YouTube podcast with a guy who had like 70 subscribers or something. And, but I was thrilled. I was like, oh my, somebody, <laughs> some, somebody now, wants now to talk to me. And now you're on the Monica Crowley podcast. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But it, it just organically grew and blew up. And, um, you know, I put it, I rolled up my sleeves and put in an enormous amount of hard work into it. Um, I was, uh, I, I, by the time we were, you know, into the week three, week four, uh, I was literally doing six to 12 interviews a day, every single day, seven days a week. And some of them were at five or six in the morning. Some of them were at midnight. I mean, I was getting like three or four hours of sleep a night for, for months. And it, I mean, in retrospect, it's actually hilarious because I was actually, I was still doing hair at that time too. So <laughs> amazing. I, yeah. I'm not kidding you. When I say I, there was a point where I was taking a client. And I left and I went outside and I was crouched behind a dumpster in New York City doing a radio interview with Dana Lash. And I was just like, is, what is going on with my life right now? I was like living a double life. But finally, the, 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 the campaign caught so much wind and we got so much wind behind our sales that I was eventually able to stop doing hair. And this kind of became my job. And by the end of 2018, the, the year that I started, we had a quarter of a million people who had joined the walkaway campaign and tens of thousands of videos and written testimonials. And by 2020, we had uh, 510,000 people who had joined walkaway campaign. Amazing. I mean, it's just astonishing how from one person, see everybody, I want everybody to take this lesson. One person can make a huge difference when you've got the passion and the drive and the vision to make it so. And you did that with Walk Away. And as you described, I mean, it just grew organically, word of mouth on social media, and it had such great success, which also then meant that you were a huge threat. It made you a target, like it makes everybody a target who uh, poses an existential threat to the Democrats and the, the corrupt ruling class. You posed a direct threat to them, and that put a target on your back. Okay, please stand by. More with Brandon Strock straight ahead. But first, guys, I know it's really, really hard to eat healthy when you're so busy, whether you're traveling, taking care of the kids, or just the daily hustle. It can be very hard to get the daily recommended vegetables and fruits in your diet. That's why I take Field of Greens. It's whole organic fruit and vegetables, not a watered-down supplement. And it's backed by a better health promise. Each ingredient in Field of Greens was scientifically chosen to support vital organs like heart, lungs, and kidney health. Others support my immune system, blood pressure, metabolism, and healthy weight loss. Let me get you started with 15% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. Like me, you'll probably look and feel healthier fast and have way more energy. But your best proof will be at your next checkup when your doctor says, mm, whatever you're doing, it's working. Keep it up. To get 15% off now, visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com. We're coming right back. Okay, we're back with Brandon Strock. All right. So now the Trump presidency, 
you support him, you know, after you have your, your epiphany, um, yes. you support him while he is president, which of course brings you more ire as it brought to all of us who were Trump supporters, the 2020, <laughs> the 2020, uh, campaign, we have COVID lockdown, shutting down the U S economy, BLM and Antifa burning down the country. Did you have a sense then that as dark as things were heading into that election and its immediate aftermath, that it could get darker? Well, I, I'll put it this way. I thought for sure that Trump was going to win. Um, yeah. And I thought, um, well, and uh, depending on who you ask, he did. <laughs> um, yes. But, uh, right. but um, uh, I, thought that, I thought that he would come out of it as our sitting president. And, um, but I did have concerns. Yes, I did have concerns um, because things were, 2020 was such a bad and, and bizarre and unprecedented, unprecedented, unusual year that I started to say to myself, you know, a lot of things could go wrong here, especially with the manipulation of the, the shutdown and, um, and the manipulation of what they're telling us about this virus, which um, I was never afraid of. And, um, and look, I have a lot of respect for, for a person's bodily autonomy. And what, like, I don't judge people who wear masks. I don't judge people who get vaccinated. I think it's a personal choice for everybody. I see people to this day drive. Okay, I do judge people who drive around in their car alone with a mask on. <laughs> so do I. I. I take it back. I do judge that. But, um, but you never know. I mean, sometimes you're out in public and someone's still wearing a mask and I have to remind myself that person could have cancer. They could have, a, you don't know what's going on in their life. Don't judge them. You don't know. Um, but I started to see the ways that, you know, authoritarianism was taking hold because of it. Complete and total irrationality was uh, taking hold. And that we were starting to talk more and more about how this would affect the 2020 election. And yeah, I started to get, significantly concerned and it started to become that feeling for me like I don't know that this is a guarantee that we've got this anymore because there's a lot of things that could be done here uh that are not above board to to sway the outcome of this election and um yes it definitely became concerning to me well, when we talk about a darker picture right after the election, when everybody's heart sank, when they couldn't call the election right away for Donald Trump, um, it set us on this path for January 6, 2021. I want you, Brandon, to please walk us through what happened to you that day, and then we'll get into, you know, after January 6, this long odyssey that you've been on. Go ahead. Sure. So uh, for me, it really actually began probably somewhere around November um, uh, 4th or 5th. And now I'm having trouble remembering what election day was in 2020. I think it was November 3rd, 3rd or 4th. But it was in those early days right after the uh, election. Um, I was heartbroken. I mean, I, I, I was heartsick because I yeah, I mean, things were going pretty well on election night. And then it was this bizarre thing. All of a sudden, you know, toilets were breaking and sewage lines were breaking, everything. Went, and we're now we're halting the count of the votes. And and all of us just started to go, what is going on? And, and to me, the moment where I thought that we were in trouble was when they would not call Texas, when it was clearly obvious that Texas was going to go red, but they called Arizona when there were about four votes in. And I was like, something really, 
not right is going on here. And so I was feeling heartbroken about it. And um, there were a group of people on Twitter, you know, conservative activists who I'm friends with who chat with each other in a, a DM on Twitter. And several of, uh, several of us were saying, what can we do? Like, how can we get involved? What, what do we do now? And so, um, you know, a, a, a decision was made basically to start throwing these rallies in swing states around the country and uh, bringing everyone together again under this hashtag, stop the steal. And so it was decided, you know, let's send some of our best activists to Pennsylvania, to Georgia, to Michigan, to Arizona. And I basically got deployed to Michigan. Now, this was a very unofficial thing, just so people know. This wasn't, uh, you know, corporately sponsored or any. I mean, this was literally just activists saying, look, I've got a platform and I've got a voice and I want to help. What can I do? And so, you know, somebody had said, look, you know, there's we've got activists in all these swing states. Why don't you head to Michigan? So I did at my own expense. I went to Michigan and I stayed there for about a week and I spoke at three different rallies that were being held um, outside of the voting center. And the purpose of these rallies, just to be clear, because, again, you know, the, the left has completely shifted the narrative about all of this. This was never about forcefully instating Donald Trump or reinstating Donald Trump. This was about the people wanted a forensic audit of the vote because yes. people felt like there was a manipulation of, of, of the, uh, the counting of the votes. You know, people were, were, were reporting uh, votes being counted that didn't have a signature, votes being counted that had mismatched signatures. You know, this was the first time we were doing this mass mail-in voting ridiculousness and people were saying there are thousands and thousands of votes that are being counted that were mailed in that came in long, days after the deadline. That's we're not supposed to be doing that. Uh, right. These drop uh, chain of custody issues that you know, it's very significant chain of custody issues. Um, I, I never said, well, I probably did. I take that back. But I mean, my my message overall was not that Joe Biden did not win the election. My message overall was the American people have a right to know that every single vote that's being counted is legitimate and authentic and genuine and cast by one living voter who has the right to vote in this country, period. That's it. And um, because I was so loud and outspoken, along with a number of other people, I was invited to speak at a, an event that was going to take place on Capitol grounds on January 6th after President Trump spoke. Uh, it was explained to me clearly from the beginning that President Trump was going to speak at the Ellipse along with a number of other people, that there would be a march from the Ellipse to the Capitol. And then at the Capitol, there would be another stage and another permitted event where literally, I'd say about 100 people were asked to speak. And I mean, we were even given graphics with our, our picture and our name. And I saw the file that had every, all of the different speakers in it. And I, you know, I'm not going to name names today, but there were members of Congress. Uh, there were media personalities. I mean, this was, there were going to be a lot of people speaking at this on this stage on Capitol grounds. And so on January 6th, President Trump spoke. I sat there and I listened to his entire speech from beginning to end. I left Capitol grounds. I uh, had secu hired security agents with me uh, and they told me, you can't do the march uh, not because of a security issue, but because you'll never get there on time. Uh, you know, you're going to be stopping and taking pictures with 100,000 people and you're going to miss the entire event. So they said, you know, we need to go on the D.C. Metro and get you to the Capitol. 
So I went down underground, got on the metro, and was getting close to the nearest stop to the capital when I started getting text messages and things like that from friends and family and colleagues around the country who were watching on television. And they were saying, we're hearing on the news that people are going inside the building. And I thought, well, what the hell does that mean? That sounds, that sounds interesting. Um, and uh, so I got out of the DC Metro. Uh, it was about an 18 minute walk from the Metro to the Capitol. So I started heading over there. And as I was heading over there, uh, I got about three blocks away from the Capitol and that's when I started shooting a video. Now, uh, just so your audience understands, um, you know, I've, ad I've attended dozens and dozens of political events over the last, you know, four or five years. So from anything from BLM and Antifa rallies slash riots to the Women's March to uh, MAGA rallies to and anything in between. And so at this point, I've, you know, I've got a pretty good system down of making sure that I capture footage and doing street interviews and things like that. So one of the things I know is when you're at a large event with lots and lots and lots of people there, um, the moment you get into a big crowd like that, you're going to lose cell service. So it's it's ridiculous to try to do a live video. You, you're, it's going to look horrible if you can even get the signal out. You're much you're much better off to just record a video into your device. You know, in this case, my camera, edit it later, and then put it out on social media. You know, after you get back to your hotel. So I started shooting my video, and uh, I'm walking onto the Capitol grounds, and I shot a video for about ten minutes. And in my video, what you'll notice is I'm on the east side of the building, first of all. So for people who don't understand, the majority, of, if not all of the, the violence, the destruction, the window smashing, the struggles with police officers, et cetera, that people are used to seeing in conjunction with January 6th happened on the west side of the building. Mm -hmm. I was on the east side of the building. And as I'm entering the Capitol grounds, you'll notice in my video, there are crowds of people all over the grounds, you know, some in groups of five, 10, 12, some in larger groups. Everyone's very calm. Everyone's just you know, talking, having a nice time. There are people riding bicycles. There's, I, it's just very calm. And then I continue to walk up the sidewalk. And when I get to the end of the sidewalk near the Capitol building, uh, you see bike rack in my video that's completely open. So presumably at one point, that was a barricade. But in my video at the time that I arrived, it had already been opened. So the sidewalk was fully opened. And by the way, on the other side of that bike rack were thousands of people standing mm -hmm. on the Capitol steps. So then I get uh, up to that crowd of thousands of people standing on the steps. Another thing that's important to point out if for anyone who watches my video is that all the people standing on the steps are facing away from the Capitol, not toward the Capitol. This is not a mob of people trying to get inside. This is a large group of people standing on the steps, holding signs, singing songs. One woman has a karaoke machine. Uh, I, I mean, it was just, very, it, it was kind of like MAGA Woodstock. I mean, honestly. Um, but in my video, you also see a man at the top of the stairs uh, motioning upward and shouting to people below. They've opened the doors. They're letting us in. We're going inside. We're going inside. And so I walked up to the top of the stairs on the east side. And sure enough, when I got there to the top, both doors of the Capitol building were wide open. And there was a crowd of several hundred people. Some of them were trying to make their way inside. The majority, like myself, were just standing there shooting a video. And um, I held my camera fully above my head as far as you know, my arm would extend above my head and pointed it down toward the open doors 
uh, so that my camera could capture what my eyes could not see because I had hundreds of people in front of me. Some were taller than me. Some were carrying flags that were hanging down on flagpoles. And um, I shot a video for about eight minutes. And then a man came out of the Capitol and got on a bullhorn and shouted into the bullhorn, they've cleared Congress. Everyone's left the building. Move out, move out. And at that point, I, I immediately turned around. I even told the people behind me, they're saying to move out, go this way, go this way. And then I walked down the stairs and back out onto the outer grounds. So, so you be, never entered the Capitol building? I never entered the Capitol on January 6th. I stood okay. on the east side steps, the landing, for about eight minutes, outside about 35 feet away from the building. Okay. And um, so I, uh, I then left the Capitol grounds um, and I started getting messages from various TV shows, uh, cable news shows, um, asking if I had been at the Capitol, if I'd gotten any footage, and if I, could, if I was available to come on the shows and talk about it. And I said, yeah, I, I, got, I definitely, I got footage, I was there, saw the whole thing. Now, mind you, I believed that what I had witnessed was the Capitol breach. I thought that was it. You know, when people were talking about, oh, the Capitol's been breached, the, the, I saw two large open doors, the doors were open, and a crowd of people, some of them trying to go in, the majority filming a video. I believed that was the totality of the great capital breach. And so um, I said, yeah, I saw it. I was there. I witnessed it. Uh, I've got video. And so I believed that it would be more compelling if I uploaded my video to Twitter and social media, if I was going to go on those shows in a few hours later to talk about what I had seen, I thought to myself, well, let's get this footage going viral now so that by the time I go on the show, people will have already seen it and will be familiar with what I'm talking about. So I uploaded my video to Twitter um, and I made it back to my hotel room. And by the time I got back to my hotel room, I started getting contacted by some of these shows saying, we're actually not going to have you on tonight. The story is changing. Mm. And I thought, and I thought, well, what does that mean? The story is changing. So for the first time, I turned on my television in my hotel room and I started to see for the very first time imagery of what had happened on the west side of the building. And I was like, what? It was like watching something from a movie. I was like, what is this? And like, literally, I couldn't figure it out. I, I, I was thinking to myself, is this happening now live? Like, did this start after I left? Like, or, or what, what is going on? Uh, regardless, I became concerned from a PR perspective that me posting my video on social media was probably not a good look considering that I'm seeing all of this craziness on TV and I don't even know what it is. So I made the decision to just take my video down and it didn't matter really at that point anyway because they had already told me you're not coming on the show to, to talk about this anyway. So I just removed the video. But it had lived on Twitter for an hour or two at that point, which was long enough for Twitter trolls, left-wing Twitter, Twitter trolls to copy the video. And then they began taking the copied version of my video and reposting it over and over and over again every day and tagging the FBI and telling the FBI to come and get me because I was a part of the insurrection. Now for the next several weeks, people were asking me, are you afraid? Are you nervous? Are you?" And I said, no, I'm not afraid. I didn't do anything. But I said, you know, I, I don't like it. I, I, I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable because it became a 24 hour a day news story that was getting much, much worse every day, not better, worse. 
where, and they came up with this word insurrection very quickly. Um, one might even think that they had it prepared before January 6th. Uh, a more yes, suspicious ahead person. of time, yes. <laughs> yeah. a, a more suspicious fellow might believe mm -hmm. they, even, they had that ready. But um, they came up with that word very quickly. And so over the next couple of weeks, it became insurrection, insurrection, insurrection. And they were, I mean, every day, it was stories of the FBI rounding people up, uh, extraditing them to Washington, D.C. These people were being abducted and never heard from again. And people started asking me, are you worried? And I said, you know, no, I'm not worried. I mean, I'm not super comfortable, but um, no, I, I'm, I didn't do anything, so I'm fine. Um, and then, uh, you know, imagine my surprise, two and a half weeks later, on the morning of Monday, January 25th, uh, I awake, I'm awakened at dawn to a team of FBI agents in tactical gear storming my apartment, getting me out of bed, putting me in handcuffs, and presenting me with a search warrant and telling me that I'm being charged with multiple felonies for what I had done on January 6th and that I was going to jail. And with that, a uh, team of agents began stripping my apartment of my computers, my iPads, my thumb drives, my phones, hard drives, camera equipment, clothing, taking my things, putting them into bags and labeling them, while two other agents paraded me through my apartment building with my hands cuffed behind my back and took me to jail, where I sat for two and a half days in 23-hour lockdown, waiting to find out what my fate was going to be. Did you... What did they tell you, number one? And number two, did you have legal counsel? No, um, I didn't have legal counsel at that time because I truly did not believe that I was going to be arrested. And um, what they told, well, so initially when they came into my apartment, put me in hand, the first thing they did was cuffed me. So literally within 30 seconds, I was cuffed. And um, I, they, you know, they had got me out of bed. So I had on a pair of pajama pants and nothing else. And so I'm sitting there, you know, half naked with my hands behind my back while they're saying to me, um, we want to ask you some questions. And I said, well, I can't answer any questions without an attorney. Mm -hmm. And the FBI agent said to me, okay, so you're, you're refusing to cooperate. And I said, <sighs> no, I said, I, I said, no, I'm not refusing to cooperate. Uh, I said, I'm happy to cooperate in any way that I possibly can, but I'm not willing to do so without an attorney present. Good and at you. that point. Yeah. And he said, well, then in that case, off to jail, we go. Um, and so that's what we did. We, we, we went to jail and they put me in a cell and then it was, um, you know, it became international headlines within minutes that I had been arrested. And um, so my team, my employees certainly knew that this had happened and they got to work trying to find me an attorney while I was in jail. So I, I got legal counsel through the help of my staff while I was sitting in an eight by eight concrete cell. It's just the, the whole story is just unbelievable. I mean, you call yourself quite rightly a political prisoner. Um, that's a totally accurate description of you and this experience, but it's just beyond belief that such a thing exists in America. We still have January 6th defendants rotting in prison without due process, uh, pretrial detention, absolutely no rights. We've got to hit this quick break, but we will be right back with much more. We're back with Brandon Strzok of Walk Away. Can you talk a little bit about 
um, two things. One, your treatment at the hands of the FBI and DOJ, and also the judicial branch. Brandon, what was your experience with judges and frankly, the entire system? Sure. Um, so I'll t- well, the first thing I'd like to say, because I think you just used the word unbelievable, um, which is a perfectly accurate and apt word. Um, but I'd, I'd like to tell anyone listening that as unbelievable as what you're hearing probably is, or when you hear other people's stories about January 6th, um, I think it's human nature. And I, and I think it's important for people to say, you know what, there's got to be more. There's something he's not telling us. Uh, we're only getting part of the story here. Uh, I want to make really clear to everybody. Um, I would not lie to anyone about this. I wouldn't whitewash any of the details about it because I, frankly, I don't think that I need to. Uh, and and uh, my entire experience is on video. So, I, I mean, if anyone doubts anything that I'm telling them, please, I encourage you, watch my video uh, and see for yourself the activity that, that caused me to get FBI rated arrested, put in jail, and charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor and and threatened with a third felony, uh, which I'll explain in a moment. But um, so when I got out of jail, I finally had an opportunity to sit down the next morning with the the attorney that my employees had found for me. And that's when I began to understand the nature of my charges. So what he told me was, you're currently charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor. Felony number one, knowingly occupying restricted grounds. Now, uh, we we don't even have enough time to get into all of the reasons why this is ridiculous, but um, I can tell you that the majority of people who went into the Capitol on January 6th were charged with misdemeanor charges of occupying a restricted building. I got charged with a felony of occupying restricted grounds for being outside the building. And then they charged me with a second felony that they called impeding an officer in the line of duty. And I said to my attorney, what are you talking about? I said, I didn't even, I, I wasn't even, there were no police officers there. Like, what are you talking about? And he said to me, well, there's a moment in your video where one Capitol police officer comes to the door frame. Now, remember, I'm holding my camera fully above my head and, he, and uh, 35 feet away is the door. And he says to me, there's, um, there's a moment where one officer comes to the door frame of the open doors of the Capitol. And when he gets there, somebody grabs his plastic shield out of his hands and the crowd begins passing it back. And as they're passing it back, you hear several voices in the crowd. Uh, Some are shouting, take it, take it. Some are shouting, take the shield, take the shield. Well, the FBI says you're one of those people shouting that, that that they hear your voice and they're charging you with a felony for allegedly saying the words, take the shield while the crowd is passing the shield. He said the entire incident lasts about six seconds. Oh, and by the way, the crowd gives the shield back to the officer after I six mean. seconds. <laughs> right. So um, there, unfortunately, there's not a lot more I can say about, I'll, I'll say a little bit more in a moment, but I kind of have to be a little bit delicate about this subject, but l- l- suffice it to say, um, uh, it, it's pretty mind blowing to me that even if a person did do that, that we're charging people with felonies for saying words that other people are doing 35 feet away. Uh, right. and, and then the third thing is that I was charged with a misdemeanor of disorderly conduct with an intent to disrupt a hearing before Congress. 
uh, which is really interesting because Congress had already cleared 20 minutes before I got there. Now, to be fair, I didn't know that. I had no idea. But it's just from a legal standpoint, it's a little bit funny. Um, now, my lawyer said to me, uh, we have a couple of options here. We can fight this all the way to the end. Uh, he said, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, he said, it's going to take minimum probably two years. Um, he said, uh, you're going to be going before a DC judge and a DC jury, and there's a very good chance you're going to lose. And he said, the other option is that we try to pursue a plea deal. He said, uh, if we try to pursue a plea deal, I feel confident we can get them to drop the felony charges. You'll plead guilty to a misdemeanor. Uh, he said, I've already been on the phone with the prosecutor this morning. He said, um, they're open to this possibility and your case will likely be resolved within 60 to 90 days. Uh, and then he said to me, but there's something else that you should be aware of as well. He said, the prosecutor told me on the call today that they're charging people with a felony called obstruction of Congress. He said that this, this charge has never been used this way in the history of law. It's essentially a charge um, that it goes back, I think, to the 90s um, that was created basically because there was witness intimidation uh, happening in, in some uh, high profile federal case. And he said, so they're using this law and basically contorting it to, so as to say, well, these Trump supporters were intimidating the quote unquote witnesses, which would have been the members of Congress who were certifying the election. And this charge is a felony that carries 20 years in prison. He said, the, the prosecutor said to us, we're charging people with felony obstruction of Congress. We have so far not chosen to, ch to charge Mr. Strzok with that. We could, it might happen, but so far we're choosing not to. So to me, <laughs> it felt that the only path forward for me was to accept the misdemeanor plea deal. And that's exactly what I did. So the, the case took place, it, it did not take 60 to 90 days. Uh, the, the government continued my case five times over the course of an entire year. Um, and finally, uh, and with every wave of continuances, uh, another wave of, of horrible press, you know, being labeled an insurrectionist and a terrorist and a, a violent rioter and an anarchist and all of these things and international news over and over and over again. Um, and I did plead guilty to a class B misdemeanor of disorderly conduct. Uh, but along with the class B misdemeanor uh, plea deal goes signing the government written statement of offense. And in the government written statement of my offense, the government says, I went onto the Capitol grounds knowing that they were restricted, knowing that I was not allowed to be there, that when I got there, I saw a crowd of people trying to take a shield from an officer and that I chimed in with the crowd saying, take it, take it. Uh, that I was encouraging the crowd to go inside the Capitol, um, a number of things. And I, I signed it. I signed that plea deal. And um, because I signed that plea deal, well, actually, no, I can't even say that because this happened previous to signing the plea deal. Within the first several months of me getting arrested and getting out of jail, um, that's when kind of the annihilation of my private and professional life began in conjunction with January 6th. I was in, and my story is not unusual. This is true, I'd say, of probably every single J6 or, or the vast majority of, of J6 people. I mean, and we're talking about people 
who who have missed you know pled guilty to a misdemeanor of of trespassing or or something of that nature we have been permanently banned by paypal venmo stripe patreon uh email services like mailchimp and constant contact my donor portals for walkaway even though my organization had nothing to do with january 6th i was there as a private citizen but i was my uh my my walkaway campaign foundation and walkaway pack were banned from our donor pay payment our donor portals our payment processors our email services i mean this was a complete and total annihilation of my life not to mention the fact that i was also placed on a domestic terrorism list which gave me a designation of quad s or sssss which means that every time i went to the airport i had to go through secondary screening to be able to get on an airplane and this takes hours I mean, having to uh, get full body pat downs, they take pictures of your boarding passes and your IDs. They take every item out of your bag and swab it and test it for explosive materials. They test your body. I mean, they swab your hands, your feet. Um, and then they bring special equipment to the gate. So when you're boarding the plane, they do it all again. They swab everything again and give you a full body pat down in front of the passengers. They actually have TSA agents follow you around the airport. And sometimes they have dogs following you around with dogs. I mean, it's, this is insanity, like at a level that I can't even possibly describe, but this is what's happening to every single person who was arrested, not even the unconvicted. I mean, this started happening to me the moment I got arrested before I'd even pled guilty or not guilty to anything uh, for January 6th. And, you know, I mean, the, the idea that they're treating you no better than they would ISIS a potential Al Qaeda, you know, Al Qaeda terrorist is just beyond belief. So, I, I mean, I wanted you to lay out your entire story, and I thank you so much for sharing it in all of its gory detail. Because everybody needs to understand when we talk about the weaponization of our own government against us, this is exactly what we mean. This is uh, Brandon's story is the case study here of an average American who loves his country, who is trying to stand up for the rule of law and got absolutely railroaded because we are in a tyranny. Okay, so I'm glad that you laid it out for everybody to hear. Brandon, it's incredibly useful to share that story so everybody knows what we're up against and how deeply corrupt this system is. I believe like DOJ, FBI, I don't think that these agencies are reformable. I think, you know, we're going to have to raise it all to the ground and start from scratch, but that's a conversation for another day. All right, Brendan, in our final moments um, with you, after all of this that's happened to you over the last couple of years, you still have the energy and inspiration to relaunch the Walk Away campaign. Talk to us about that. Sure. Well, so, you know, as I said earlier, we had grown to 510,000 people on that Facebook group that I created. And then on January 8th of 2021, two days after January 6th, when big tech was mass purging conservative accounts, including the president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, Facebook banned the walkaway campaign. There was no explanation. There was no opportunity to appeal. I mean, it was one of the most bizarre. And oh, by the way, they also banned every one of my employees. Uh, you know, so when we all tried to open our own private Facebook accounts, every one of us had a message saying you're permanently banned, this cannot be appealed. So yes, in the, in the course of going through all of my criminal case and everything else, in the background, my team and I continued to work. And we made a decision that in order, we, that we, number one, would fight back, we would bring Walkway back, and we would try to recover everything that had been taken from us, including our email services and donor portals, et cetera. But most importantly, 
we needed to create a platform that was safe, that was autonomous, and that was owned by us, where once again, we could rebuild this community and allow people to come together and tell their stories. And so I have been working to the point of uh, making myself insane, frankly, uh, for two years, building our own social media platform, which we're launching now on March 1st, which is just days away. Um, it's called Walkaway Social. It will be available in the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, and people can go to walkawaysocial.com if they want to use it on the web. It functions almost identically to Facebook, but people will be able to join, create a profile. We're not looking to become the next Facebook, to be clear. This is not a place where people come and create a profile and then start posting pictures of their Christmas tree and their Thanksgiving dinner and their pictures of their grandkids. You'll create a profile. And your profile will allow you to join groups. And the groups are things like the walkaway testimonial group, the uh, your own state group, where you can meet people nearby who are like-minded to get together to either do activism activities or go for pizza, go for movies, whatever you want to do. Uh, discussion groups and things like that. It's literally, I say, the world's first social media platform with a mission, with a purpose. The purpose for, is for people to join and support people, su support a community of people as they walk away from the Democratic Party. That's the purpose of this platform. So um, we we launch on March 1st. I could not be more excited. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I believe it will be the most rewarding. And um, I hate to go out on a crass note, but I'm going to say, as far as I'm concerned, it's the biggest possible middle finger to the DOJ and the FBI and big tech and everybody who tried to destroy my life the last couple of years. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I salute you for doing this. And, you know, like I, I have said to President Trump and Devin Nunes, um, Jason Miller over at Getter, you know, it, it we were mocked mercilessly by the left for years. Oh, you don't like these big tech platforms? Just go build your own. And they'd cackle and laugh because they knew <laughs> how incredibly difficult it is to do that because they control the cloud. They control all the servers. They control everything and they can shut you down in the blink of an eye. So they knew how tough it was going to be and they just laugh at us. Well, you know, people like you who are going out there actually building your own platform for the general public to use and benefit from, that is a massive accomplishment, Brandon, and everybody should be supporting you. So walkawaysocial.com. Can um, uh, people go there now? Is the website active? So if people go there between now and March 1st, they're going to basically see our, our line, our signup page, uh, but they're not going to actually have the ability to sign up until March 1st when we go live. So when we go live on March 1st, we'll activate the sign up link on that homepage. But like I said, people can also, uh, if they have an Android, they can go to the Google Play, Play Store. If they have an iPhone, they can go to the Apple App Store. I'm very proud of the mobile apps that we built because they're beautiful. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's it's, we're talking about like a Facebook quality mobile app and the website as well. I mean, the website is absolutely uh, beautiful. I just, I'm the kind of person that I do everything from my phone. I almost never open my computer. I know people who only go on their computer to do social media. So if you're one of those people, you're going to love the web version. If you're like me and you love a mobile app, our mobile apps are beautiful and everything is going to be available on March 1st. 
absolutely amazing. And guys, this is what I mean when, when I say that we have to support folks on our side doing really important work, whether it's in the tech area, like Brandon with walkawaysocial.com and the app, which we'll be able to get on March 1st, or in the culture, you name it, the only way we're going to turn this country around is by supporting things like this and people like Brandon. Um, Brandon, I, I'm just, I, you know, I, after you're sharing this unbelievable story with everybody, I, we're all just so grateful to you. And we're all so grateful for you, for sharing your story, going through the fire, coming out stronger on the other side, rebuilding Walk Away with Walk Away Social. We're just really, we're, we're so supportive of you in every possible way. And I thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of it. Well, and I thank you right back. And, and I, uh, I appreciate everything that you just said. And I thank you for that support because believe me, uh, there are a number of people whose lives have been destroyed uh, by the Department of Justice and the FBI in conjunction with January 6th who are not getting that support from, from yeah. the right wing, from the media. So for people like yourself and you know a handful of others, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for this opportunity to talk and tell my story. Well, absolutely. It's our honor and pleasure to host you, Brandon. And we just, we all thank you for your courage and your patriotism. Brandon Struck. <laughs> Did I pronounce it right? <laughs> you said it right. Okay. Yeah, you got it. But Nailed it is spelled S-T-R-A-K-A. <laughs> and his website is Brandon Strzok, but again, all one word, S-T-R-A-K-A.com. <laughs> go there for more information, walkawaysocial.com. Please go check it out and support it because it means the world to, to him, to us, and to changing America. Thank you so much, Brandon. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Wow, just an absolutely incredible view into January 6th and the human toll that all of these lies and all of this destruction has had on our fellow Americans. I'm glad I could bring you Brandon's story. There are a lot of stories just like Brandon's out there, and I'm sorry, but it is unacceptable in the United States of America at any time, but certainly in 2023. What about human rights? I mean, the Democrats and the left for years, oh, we're champions of human rights. Really? Yeah, except if you're a Trump supporter. That needs to end today with all of us. So thank you so much for joining us uh, for this very important show. We really appreciate your time as always. And thank you for checking out our great sponsors. In the meantime, have a fantastic weekend. And I will see you right back here on Monday with another huge show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.